Martha. Um, before we continue um, with the rest, uh, please take a moment to greet each other in the love of Christ. I'd like to, to welcome all of you again, and especially those of you who are here visiting with us or, or new to Maranatha. Um, we do encourage you to stop by the welcome desk in the lobby after the service um, and talk with the, the host there. Um, you can fill out a, we have a yellow sheet, um, different ways that uh, we can help you get connected here in the church if you would like that. Um, we have several announcements this morning. Um, it is just seven days until our neighborhood gathering, and we are very excited uh, for the kickoff of this uh, church-wide initiative uh, happening next Sunday. Um, we want you to know that the, the groups that have been assigned um, based on geography are listed out and displayed in the fellowship hall this morning. So if you're curious to see uh, which group you'll be in, you can, can go and find those groups listed, um, they are organized by uh, three, um, at, at three different locations in the fellowship hall. Um, the Rice Lake area groups are kind of on the far end of the room um, by the kitchen door. The uh, Barron and Cumberland groups are kind of in, in the middle of the room. And then the um, Shatek and Cameron groups are kind of on um, the closest side here. So you can go and um, if you don't see your name on a list, um, there's a spot for you to write in your name um, at the appropriate group. Kind of look around at the different groups and see um, if, if your name is on any of those. We're trying to get everybody incorporated into a group, and, and we need your help with that. Um, so we have about 20 groups um, that are... are uh, um, forming. Um, we're really grateful for the, the leaders and the hosts that have uh, committed themselves to helping facilitate groups, um, but we do need five more groups, um, uh, hosts for groups, um, and, the, and those are clearly marked on, on the uh, display there. So if you are interested in hosting a group um, for the neighborhood gathering in your home, um, please uh, talk to one of us pastors today um, or as soon as possible. We'd appreciate that. Um, you will be receiving uh, uh, an email or a text or a call from your the host in your neighborhood um, this week. I know we've been saying that for, for a few weeks now, but it's really going to happen this week. So you should be contacted this week. Um, in most cases, it will be a potluck meal, um, 5 p.m. next Sunday. Um, so we're really hoping um, that this, uh, these groups will be an encouraging experience um, for you in getting to know others in your neighborhood and, and connecting with people in a deeper way. So that's all I'll say about that. But um, in terms of other announcements, um, the uh, focus of the women's retreat, um, or the theme, I should say, of the women's retreat is uh, focus. 
and uh, Gail Morris will be the speaker, and I'm just going to read a little note um, from her that's on the registration form here. It says, join us as we take a time to ask ourselves, what is my focus? The thing that occupies our thoughts is what ends up driving our life. Or maybe you are pulled in so many directions that you aren't focused at all. A wrong focus or a divided focus results in confusion, unrest, and anxiety. Our prayer is that this time away will provide for each woman a safe place to find complete rest in the Prince of Peace. So women, um, we are excited for this event for you. Um, it will be happening October 22nd to 24th. Um, the early bird uh, discount ends today, um, so you can sign up um, in the lobby at the table there. Secondly, the Youth Fall Fling is also coming up in October and the uh, Student Apologetics Conference in November. So the uh, registration deadlines for those are approaching quickly. You can find more information about those um, at brochures at the welcome desk or um, on the Soul Garage website to register. And lastly, a uh, save the date um, for the annual fundraiser for the Pregnancy Help Center, the Slice of Life, um, is coming up October 3rd, um, just a couple weeks away. And uh, it is very possible that Pastor Aaron may be pied. So if you would like to uh, donate uh, towards, towards that cause and towards the uh, Pregnancy Help Center, um, you can do that in the lobby beginning today. Well, each week, we, we do like to take a little time to celebrate something that God has been doing um, in the church family, and uh, we wanted to celebrate a successful uh, church picnic and baptism service last Sunday. Uh, it was very well attended. About 130 of us uh, gathered down at Arrowhead last week, and it was a, a really powerful testament to God's grace in the lives of uh, the eight who were baptized. There were um, two sets of siblings. Um, I think we got the picture there. Two sets of siblings baptized and, and uh, three adults there. So it was great to see them make that uh, public declaration of, of their faith in the Lord. And as we uh, transition, as uh, um, Pastor Tony comes and, and shares the word with us this morning, um, just a brief update from Pastor Cody he wanted you all to know that um, his case of, of COVID has been mild and that he's um, doing much better at this point. Um, he is expecting to be coming out of quarantine soon, um, but he really wishes that his uh, taste and smell would come back. Um, he's he's uh, very thankful for your prayers. Um, please do continue to pray for him and for his family and for um, others in our church family who, who are... Um, experiencing COVID now. So with that, I'll invite Pastor Tony up. Thank you, Pastor Eric. It's been a little while since I've had the opportunity to, uh, to preach, so it is a joy to be here uh, preaching this morning. Um, I begin by asking you a question. Do you know anyone who is good at talking the talk but fails to walk the walk? Someone who makes a promise, but rarely delivers on it. For those of you who are teenagers, perhaps it has happened with one of your parents. 
making a promise to take you on a trip somewhere or promising to help you buy your own vehicle or promising to come to your game or competition or recital and failing to come through. Parents, perhaps you have a teenager who promises to clean their room or to be home at a certain time at night but fails to honor that promise. There's a guy involved in ministry that I know who has done this from time to time. This guy is, is pretty good at talking about radically loving your neighbors and sharing his ideas and how to do this well. He talks about building relationships with neighbors and being intentional and talking with them about spiritual things. He talks about inviting your neighbors over to your house to share a meal together. He talks about how to transition a conversation to spiritual matters. He does a lot of talking about it, but he sometimes struggles to actually do what he talks so much about. The guy has great intentions but lacks follow-through. He can talk the talk, but he doesn't always walk the walk. Do you know anyone like that? If you don't think you do, you are wrong. I know that because you know me, and I'm that guy in the story. I confess that it is easier for me to talk the talk than walk the walk. And I imagine that for some of you, you may struggle at times with the same thing. I think we all do at some level. Talking is easy. Actually, doing the things we talk about can prove to be much more difficult. When it comes to truly loving one another, we have a tendency to do more talking than walking. I think this is a problem that the Apostle John noticed in the churches of his day. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. It seems that in John's day, there were people who talked about loving one another, but their actions were betraying their words. We don't know exactly what was going on, but Bible scholars believe that there were false teachers who were infiltrating the early church and teaching things that were not true, even though they sounded good. They were deceiving the people. Earlier in John's letter, he warned them to be on guard against these false teachers. In our text, in 1 John 3, verses 11 through 24, John is reminding us about the command Jesus gave all his followers to love one another. Perhaps the churches were talking about how to love each other, but were failing to follow through by truly, sincerely, and radically loving one another as Christ had commanded them. Even though John's readers claimed to know God and belong to God, they lacked practical love for one another. Sometimes when I have the opportunity to preach, I like to rope in a student to participate by reading the biblical text that I'm preaching from. And so, Tom, I invite you to come on up, and actually the microphone is on the front seat there, so you can grab that on the pew there. Uh, this morning, Tom Peterson is going to come and read our text of 1 John 3, 11 through 24. And we don't do this often, but periodically, I think it is good for us to stand as we listen to God's word being read, out of respect and reverence for the sacred gift that we have in the Word of God. And so if you are able this morning, I invite you uh, to stand as Tom reads from 1 John 3, 11 through 24. For this, is it on? Yeah, great. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was, evil, who was, with, who was with, of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers. That world hates you. We, have no, um, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
everyone hates his brother uh, is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and we know everything, and he knows everything. Beloved is our heart. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what, he, what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus and love one another, just as, his command, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Thank you, Tom. You may be seated. Allow me to pray for our time in the Word this morning. Our good God, our Heavenly Father, we confess that many times we take for granted the unbelievable privilege that we have in your word, you have made yourself known to us. So we thank you uh, for the reading of your word, and we pray now as, as I preach from this text that you would speak to us, that you would remind us of things we know, but things we need to be reminded of, that you would help us to think carefully and deeply about how best uh, we as part of your church family can love one another. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I preach, I often like to do my best to boil down the sermon into one sentence, to focus our minds around one big idea. So here's the big idea I believe John wants to remind us of through our text in 1 John 3. Because God first loved us, we ought to radically love one another. So that's our big idea. Because God first loved us, we ought to radically love one another. In our text today, the Apostle John provides us with both a negative and a positive example to guide us in loving one another well. Let's begin by looking at the negative example, what not to do. John, or in 1 John um, chapter 3, verses 11-15, through 15, we see that Cain provides a great example of how we ought not to love one another, right? So in verses 11-15, through 15, and let's look at these verses that Tom read for us. He starts by saying, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So he harkens back to the beginning. What is the beginning? Is it the beginning of their time with Jesus? Is it some other beginning? Is it from the beginning of creation? Uh, but this is a message, certainly at least, that they heard from the beginning of their time with Jesus, that they should love one another. Jesus lived that out. He exemplified that. And then John goes on to say, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. John begins by reminding us of a very simple command that can be very difficult to put into practice in our daily lives. We should love one another. But what does that mean? 
What does it look like to love one another? What does the Greek word for love mean here in this context? What did John, the apostle of love, have in mind when he wrote this? And many of you perhaps know that John referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. Um, I think the love of Jesus that John experienced as he walked with Jesus on this earth radically transformed his own life. And that shaped him so much so that, that it changed his identity. His identity was formed by understanding that he was beloved he was loved by Jesus. That changed everything. And I think it can for us as well when we understand how deep God loves us. John uh, loves contrast, and here we see numerous contrasts in this text. He begins to flesh out what this loving one another means by showing us an extreme example of what not to do. So in verse 12 where he says, Do not be like Cain. Notice what he says about Cain. He belonged to the evil one, and he murdered his brother. John then goes on and asks the million-dollar question. Why in the world did Cain murder his brother Abel? The short answer, I think, is because his parents screwed up big time. Now, that's not exactly what John says, but I don't think John would disagree with me. Who were Cain's parents? Adam and Eve, right? And what did they do that caused Cain to kill his brother? Well, Adam and Eve, they were created to be in a perfect relationship with God, but that relationship was shattered when they disobeyed God, when they decided for themselves to determine what was right and what was wrong, and they sinned. And since then, every single one of us has been born with a sinful nature. And as the Genesis storyline goes on, we see the immediate effects of this sin. We, in the immediate effects of their decision to disregard God's commands and determine by themselves what is right and good. Their son, Cain, killed their son, Abel. Adam and Eve's sin resulted in death just as God had promised. In Genesis chapter 5, we see the phrase, and then he died, repeated eight times, emphasizing the result of sin is indeed death. John tells us that the reason why Cain killed Abel is because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So we know, many of us know, that in this story they both had made an offering to the Lord, but Cain's offering was not accepted by God, and Abel's was. Was it in the heart? Was it in the content of the, of the offering? Um, whatever exactly it was, Cain's offering was not pure. It was not the right sort of offering that God wanted. And so he, he was in sin, and then he was jealous maybe, envious of his brother whose offering was accepted by the Lord. And so in his sin, he compounded and added sin on top of sin by then taking his brother's life. How many of you have murdered your brother? Hopefully not too many of you. But before we too quickly uh, think we're off the hook, John continues contrasting love with hatred. He says in verse 15 that anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. So now, how many of you have felt hatred towards someone at any point in your life? If we're to search our hearts, I imagine that many of us might be guilty of hatred. Maybe not currently, but perhaps in the past. And John says anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. The point is this, we all inherited the same sinful nature that Cain inherited. 
We were created good, but that goodness has been twisted. We are totally depraved. This means that no matter how hard we try, on our own, we will never be fully good. We always will have a tendency to be self-centered, bitter, envious, mean, exclusive, prideful, and unfriendly to others. John says, do not be like Cain. But the problem is, we are like Cain. We were born that way. The good news is that even though we are born that way, we can be born again. Isn't that good news? We are born with a hard heart that is very self-reliant and self-centered, but as we see in the book of Ezekiel, God calls Ezekiel to preach to the Israelites who are exiled in Babylon and proclaim God's promise, saying, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. They will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. That's from Ezekiel 11, verses 19 to 20. So though we are born with a hard heart of stone and a tendency toward hating others, God can give us new life and a new heart of flesh that allows us to love others truly and deeply and radically. So because God first loved us, we ought to radically love one another. Cain helps us think through what not to do. Obviously, there's a lot more in those verses we could unpack. But now John turns to the positive example. Christ provides the ultimate example of how we ought to love one another. We see this in the second half of this section in John, uh, 1 John 3, 16 to 24. Let me read those verses again for us. So in verse 16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, or as uh, the translation Tom read from, I think the ESV, I, I love how it puts it, uh, closes his heart to them. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. God is calling us to do something very radical, something very counter-cultural. And I think it is fair to say that most humans and most cultures throughout world history have shared the tendency toward self-preservation. Our fight-or-flight responses in the amygdala of our brain demonstrate that we are hardwired to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves, either through fleeing a dangerous situation or by fighting. <laughs> but do you notice what God is calling his followers to do here in 1 John? Take a look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I cannot help but wonder how much the Last Supper John shared with Jesus and the other disciples influenced John's writing of this letter. In John's gospel account, he records the story most of you are very familiar with. 
In John 13, we read about how Jesus, as he was, is, is working to usher in his upside-down kingdom, he flips the cultural expectations and norms on their head as he, the revered rabbi, removes his outer garments and wraps a towel around his waist, taking on the role of the lowliest servant and begins to wash the disciples' smelly, nasty, dirty, unclean, dirt and dung-encrusted feet, an act that not one of them offered to do for another because they were too busy arguing and fighting over who among them was the greatest. Jesus teaches powerfully by example and demonstrates what true love looks like in his kingdom. Over half a century has passed since that dramatic teaching moment when Jesus and his disciples sat together and shared that meal. I imagine that during those 50 plus years, John had plenty of time to reflect on that experience. And I think it profoundly impacted him. So what does it mean that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters? For some Christians, it may mean that we are called to be martyrs for the faith and physically die in order to benefit other believers through our faithful testimony and commitment to Christ. When Brother Dave was here a while ago sharing about the persecuted church, we heard some stories of people who were doing exactly that. And our faith is indeed and can indeed be built up as we see the faithful testimony of others who are, who are not willing to reject their faith in Christ even when their own lives are on the line. So that may be what some of us are called to. However, I would argue that this, this idea of laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters um, applies to each of us, even those who may not be called to become Christian martyrs. You know, when I think about the concepts of uh, submission in Scripture and the relationship between husbands and wives, um, there's submission and love. And sometimes men, at their responsibility as an act of love is to take a bullet for their wife. And that that's, that's, only, that's really all it means, that I'm willing to die for my wife. She submits to me, and I'll take a bullet for her. But I think both in that context and in this context, this idea of laying down our life of sacrificial love has daily implications that are uh, less exciting and much more difficult sometimes for us to do. <laughs> we, like Christ, are called to give our lives to lay them down. So what does it mean that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters? I think that happens every day. We have opportunities to love others, to set aside our own desires and needs. You see this interesting contrast in this text between Cain and Christ. You see that Cain took a life, whereas Christ gave his life. And so we, like Christ, are called to lay down our lives. In Romans 6, Paul uses the language of dying to our sinful nature. I read from that passage last Sunday at the baptism service. God is calling us to love one another radically by dying to our own selfish, sinful desires and putting the needs of others in the body of Christ ahead of our own. In Philippians 2, Paul writes very similarly, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is a passage that I, I go to almost every single opportunity I have uh, when, I, when I'm sitting with a couple and doing marriage counseling or mediation. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's hard. That is really hard to do. And it's a daily dying that God is asking of us. In, the, in that passage in Philippians, Paul goes on to use Christ as the model for that sacrificial sort of love that we are called to extend to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the f- form of a servant, even to the point of dying on the cross. So what does this look like? What can this look like in the church, this positive example? I have a story I want to share uh, from a college professor about a married woman who was in in, uh, his church, a married woman who was having an affair with her garbage man and how her church family radically loved her through that sinful situation. So when it came to light that this was happening, the church, instead of just condemning her and um, putting her under you know, church discipline, they, they loved on her. They reached out to her. Um, and they went to great extents to do that. So they reached out to the husband, to the wife both. They sought to do counseling with them. And initially, the wife was not responsive. We often aren't when we're caught up in sin. We don't want to be called out from the, the darkness of our sins. But they persevered. They loved her through this, even to the point of contacting the garbage company and asking them to change the route of that garbage man so he was no longer on that route. He wasn't going by their house anymore. Like They went to lengths to, to do whatever they could in their power to try and help reconcile this broken marriage. And over time, their extreme, radical, confrontational love through Christ won her over. And it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful ending to the story that their marriage was reconciled. Ultimately, the husband forgave and they began to rebuild the trust in their relationship. But it's a picture to me, not only of the forgiveness and confession that can happen, like Pastor Aaron talked about last week with our, our need to confess our sins and the model that David gives us in Psalm 51, but, but the love that the church family had. Like, it's messy, and they could have said, you know, like, we'll, we'll talk to her a little bit, but if she's unresponsive, there's not really much we can do about it. No, they said, we're going to do everything we can in our power to come alongside because we believe in the sanctity of marriage and we want to fight for marriages. We know that we live in a broken world and sometimes marriages do end in divorce. But as much as we can, while we have the influence, we want to love this family, love this couple. And I don't remember all the details of the story. I just remember thinking that that is a picture of a church loving well. And so loving well doesn't just mean we're encouraging each other. Certainly that's part of it. But loving well sometimes means we do the hard, messy thing of, of confronting our brothers and sisters in Christ in sin. And I appreciated that last Sunday during the baptism service, Scott, um, had in sharing his story, like, asked for that accountability. He asked that we as a church family hold him accountable in his walk. Um, and, I, and I hope that all of us have that attitude, that we want to do this together, this, this thing of following after Christ. It's not easy. But may we commit ourselves to this sacrificial sort of love for one another. As the story about this that my college professor had, had shared illustrates, hopefully, uh, loving others radically with the love of Christ, it may not always be welcomed initially when it involves confronting other believers caught in sin. 
The world may even hate us for doing such things. Verse 13 says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. In John's gospel, he talks about that as well. You, they hated me, and if you're truly following after me, the world will probably hate you. The world, I think, there represents those who are, have not trusted in Christ. The mass of humanity that is still separated from the wonderful salvation that God has offered to them, and they're in rebellion against him. That, I think, is what's represented in this context by the world. And they, and they will hate us because our lives, when we're truly following after God, when we're loving God well and loving one another well, it, it will reveal their own sinfulness. And, and they don't want that. They, they don't want the light shown upon their dark and evil deeds. Men love the darkness because their deeds are evil, right? The world may hate us for doing these things, and they may even tell us it's none of our business, but as the family of Christ, it is our business. And we must seek the wisdom of Christ to know how to do this well. So how do we apply the example of Christ's love to our lives? I want to spend the remainder of our time thinking through the application. These are reminders. These are things you know, things we all know. We ought to love one another. But let's wrestle together for a few minutes on what could this look like. So I want to begin this part of the, the kind of the application and reflection time of acknowledging many of the ways that the body of Christ at Maranatha has loved one another well in the years that I have been here. And as pastors and staff, we have the incredible privilege of seeing so many beautiful, wonderful things that you are doing to love one another. Some of you have a, just a tiny picture of that, like you don't have the same um, access to some of that information. And so I want to share some of that with you, some of the things that have been so encouraging and have blessed me so much um, about things I have seen here. I know that many of you have Christ's Spirit living in you, and it shows in how you love others and how you seek to live out this command that John is reminding us of. God's command that we should not only believe in the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, but we should then love one another, not merely with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So let me, I have a list of, of things. We'll see how many I get through here. I think it's like a, pretty much a page full. Um, yeah, this whole page is a list. And, uh, so helping hands, moving people, and doing house repairs. One such move, I think, just happened yesterday. Uh, I'm going to just tick a whole bunch of things off here on my list. Building a wheelchair ramp for someone battling some serious health issues. Um, construction help finishing a portion of our basement. Someone in our congregation helped with that when we first moved to the area. Um, a meal train uh, ministry, providing meals for families when they're sick or recovering from surgery. That's expressing the love of Christ to one another. Helping someone with a vehicle that was broke down in Eau Claire and getting it repaired and returned to Cameron. Hospitality ministry, comforting people through a warm meal during their times of grieving at a funeral. Providing a place around tables for the love of Christ to be experienced as families break bread together. Financial care for one another. There are so many examples of this. Vehicles being donated to others in need within the body of Christ. Providing employment opportunities or side jobs for people to help them provide for their family. Loaning out trailers to haul a broken down vehicle or, or go pick up uh, wreaths from our wreath fundraiser. Providing transportation to people in need to help them be able to attend church. Doing jail visits, hospital visits, Thanksgiving baskets of foods for certain families to bless them. Meat that has been donated to different people within the church from farmers or hunters or businesses, 
donated for events or as special gifts to people. Remember a number of years ago, a group of people helping shingle Pastor Paul's house um, up, uh, up in Serona area when he was living up there. Um, Freedom in Christ ministry, providing counseling to help people break free from the bondage of addiction or other struggles. Providing meals for the Jamie Kloss situation and the tornado response. Helping serve meals at, at the f- uh, food pantries in town or the warming shelter. Donating food or other items to Benjamin's house. Um, painting, prayer, and participation in fundraisers for the Pregnancy Help Center. Inviting friends, family members, and neighbors to church to hear the good news of the gospel. Using a wide array of gifts and talents to help with the facilities and the grounds at Maranatha. We have a lot of facilities here. And I am so blessed by all of the people on the facilities teams and others who aren't maybe on the team but have helped out on the cleanup day and other, other days. There are thousands and thousands of donated hours to help uh, with, with the, the, the gift of the facilities that we have here. Marriage counseling. And this isn't just provided by counselors or by, by uh, pastoral staff, um, but by lay leaders, members of the congregation who are coming alongside one another, coming alongside brothers and sisters in Christ to love couples through conflict, to help them avoid divorce and work towards reconciliation. The finance team, giving of their time and expertise to help us honor God through good stewardship of our resources. That's loving one another. Praying for one another is such a beautiful act of love. And I know that Ray and Val Caldwell are not here anymore. They've moved down to Iowa, but their ministry continues. Um, Prayer is a ministry you can do over long distances. And uh, they're just one of many couples that I know are so, or individuals that are so devoted to praying for the church, for, for God to be glorified, for the health and well-being of our church family. Um, mentoring through kinship. I know of someone who mentored someone for at least eight years and continues a relationship with that individual, even though they're out of high school now. Foster care. That's a commitment. That's sacrificial love. It's a beautiful opportunity to express the love of Christ to people in our community. Adoption. That takes, it takes a bit to commit to that. And it's an unbelievable picture of God's love for us. God uses that picture. We are adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. And so when we can give that experience to someone else, Cody has been blessed by that in his own life, right? Practicing hospitality, inviting others into your home for a meal, inviting others into your home when they're visiting the area, inviting others into your home to even live with you for a season. Up, uh, maybe, you know, that's, that's not always convenient. We have our, our, our ways of doing things as a family, and, and, but some of you have done that. You've invited people who've been through a rough time or struggling in, in their situation uh, to come and live with you for a season. Helping new people be welcomed into the church. It warms our hearts as pastors and elders so much when we see all of you doing that. You see someone you haven't met before and you take the initiative to welcome them in. Admitting when you're wrong. Confessing failure and sin. Seeking and extending forgiveness. If I had more time, I think I could easily come up with 50 more examples of how all of you are demonstrating the love of Christ to one another and our community. I am proud to be one of your pastors. I love the Maranatha Church family, even with our shortcomings, our failures, our dysfunctions. We are a dysfunctional family, and every church is at some level. Praise God for what he has done and continues to do through this church body, sometimes in spite of our own failures. I don't know how you react to reading and thinking through this portion of Scripture in 1 John 3, but even though 
I see many ways our church family is already loving one another. I am challenged to think and to dream about ways in which we could love each other even better as we continue to depend on the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. What would it look like for Maranatha as a church, as a church family, to love one another so deeply, so radically, so profoundly, so fully that every person who crossed paths with our church family would smell the sweet aroma of Christ and get to taste God's great love through us. I think there are two ways of examining the answer to this question as our text lays out. One is to ask the negative question of how we ought not to treat one another. The other is to ask the positive question of how we ought to love one another even more radically than ever before. So much so that those who see our love for one another would know that we are Christ's followers and would long to experience the same thing that has so transformed our lives and our relationships with one another. So let's take a serious moment to talk about the negative, the what not to do. If you have a sheet of paper for making your own list, I encourage you to do that. Let me tick off a few thoughts that I have of what not to do. Um, Cain gets the ball rolling with a few, so don't murder your brother. That's a good place to start, okay? Don't do that. Don't hate people, right? I have a list of a number of different things. Don't arrive to worship on, on Sundays late and leave during the final song. It's hard to get to know you when you do that. Allow the community here to spend time with you. We often have donuts in that room, and that's a great time to get to know people. So I challenge you to think about that. Uh, don't gossip about one another. Don't fight and quarrel about things not worth fighting over. Don't form cliques or exclusive friend groups. You know, in youth ministry, we sometimes talk about this horseshoe rule. You guys know the horseshoe rule? Right? So the horseshoe rule is that if you're with a group of friends and you're talking and you form a full circle, the kid that's just coming in to the group has nowhere to break into that group because it's a closed circle. And that's what it communicates. You're not welcome here. This is our group of friends. You go find your own. So a horseshoe, though, it has an opening. It has a spot for that person to come into. And when they come into it, you widen the horseshoe a little more so it's still a horseshoe. Right? So, so think about that idea. Um, don't, don't form these exclusive friend groups. Some of you have deep relationships with others. You've been coming here for many years and you have deep friendships. And it's good and right and, and wonderful that you want to connect and fellowship and encourage one another but, but be mindful of those who are newer to the church or mindful of those maybe who've been coming to the church for a season and still haven't broke into a, a, a deeper friendship with people. I know even talking with Jake, we came about the same time, about 10 years ago, in the Herringer family, and, and uh, it took a little while for them to feel connected into the, the church family. Um, it, 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 when there's people who've been at the church family for, for a long time, it's, an, it's a natural thing to happen that we want to be careful um, of. Be mindful of that. Don't drink the poison of bitterness and resentment. Uh, don't ignore new people visiting our church family. And here's one for us as pastors and elders. Don't allow seeds of distrust to grow between ourselves. Another one for us as pastors and elders. Don't ignore the concerns, the hurts, the frustrations from members of the congregation. Don't let pride prevent you from saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Don't run away from conflict or leave the church without doing everything in your power to address the conflict in a God-honoring manner. Don't immediately bring a conflict you have with another brother or sister in Christ to the elders 
if you haven't already followed Matthew 18 and attempted to address it directly with the individual first. So those are some of the what not to do. Not always fun to think about those things, but the text leads us in that direction. But now let's take a moment to think about the positive side, what we should do to express the love of Christ to one another. And again, we have a long list. You guys are doing awesome already, but let me challenge us to keep thinking about this and, and, and just keep raising that bar, to keep dreaming bigger. Let us depend on the Holy Spirit as we do this. Let us listen to the guidance and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and, and don't be afraid to do crazy things for Christ. As we reflect on this, I think it's worth remembering a few things that Paul teaches us about love. So what is love? Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere, hate evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you. That one's hard. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. There are days when we do both of those the same, the same day. Rejoice and mourn with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Do, do, uh, do be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul also talks a little bit about love in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, this doesn't mean when wrongs happen, we just overlook everything. There are wrongs that happen that need to be confronted biblically and addressed in a God-honoring way. But when, for, when confession is made, as Pastor Aaron led us through last week, in King David's example, there is an appropriate Christian response of forgiveness. And when we truly forgive one another, there is a letting go a promise to not use that as a weapon against that person anymore. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So what could it look like for us to grow in our love for one another? One practical thing we're doing as pastors and elders to build a deeper love for one another is praying together twice per week. Sunday mornings before first service, and uh, on Thursday evenings over the phone, trying to build that trust. As a body of Christ, we all need to learn to be vulnerable with each other, spend time together outside our weekly gatherings, participate in our neighborhood gathering campaign. You knew I was going to work it in somewhere here, right? Participate next Sunday in the neighborhood gathering campaign. Commit to joining, at least pray about committing to join the six-week small group study to get to know others at a deeper level so you can have opportunity to express the love of Christ to one another and to receive that as well. Share your resources. Consider some maybe more radical things like going on vacation together with another church family or a short-term mission trip with another family from our, our church. Join a men's or women's Bible study. 
serve in, many of our, in one of our many ministries. Confront brothers and sisters in Christ gently and lovingly when they're in sin, but do it directly. Extend significant grace to one another, including pastors, elders, and staff. Be quick to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Seek to make full, robust confessions using the seven A's of confession that I have taught on before and, of course, using Psalm 51 as a wonderful guide as well. Seek to truly forgive one another, remembering that our ability to forgive others is a direct reflection of our understanding or sometimes our lack of understanding of God's merciful forgiveness offered to us through the death and resurrection of his beloved son on the cruel cross of Calvary. Maranatha is far from perfect. Yet I believe God has been and continues to be at work in and through this church family in mighty ways. Many of you are living examples of the love of Christ in your marriages, your families, your workplaces, your homes, and your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we will always have plenty of room for improvement as a whole. So I pray that we would all commit ourselves anew to loving one another radically with the love of Christ. In talking about the book of 1 John and the necessity for us to depend on the Holy Spirit in order to truly and radically love others, Doug Wilson says it this way. So what does love in your life look like? If it doesn't look like Jesus Christ, then you are hopelessly lost. And the only way it can look like Jesus Christ in your life is when it is Jesus Christ in your life. Who can do this thing? We cannot. We cannot love our way up to Jesus and from there move on up to the Father. We cannot. This only happens and can only happen when the Father loves his way down to us. But when he loves his way down to us in Christ, this is what it must look like. John is not here describing the ladder we must climb if we ever want to see heaven. Rather, he is describing the way in which God came down to us. If you want the love of the Father in your midst, then you must have the Spirit of Christ in your midst. He is the love of the Father. Isn't that well put? Beautiful words. Let me wrap up. Though we have a tendency to merely talk about loving one another, John is reminding us of God's call for us to love one another radically with the love of Christ that dwells in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us not merely love with words or speech, but with concrete actions and independence on the God of truth. Can you imagine how incredible it would be if we avoided the pitfalls that kill love confessing our failures, correcting them, and forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us? Can you imagine what it would look like at Maranatha if in dependence on the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, we committed ourselves to loving each other so radically that every person who crosses our paths notices the lavish love of God through us and longs to experience that love themselves? How wonderful that would be. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, may we humble ourselves enough to confess our failures and sins as King David did in Psalm 51 and may we resolve together to love one another more deeply and radically than ever before not so we may receive praise but so God's name may be elevated in Barron County and beyond through the powerful testimony of our love may Maranatha be a place where people of all generations learn to radically love one another in response to the to experiencing the amazing love of God ourselves to God be all the glory now and forevermore. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, the letters of John are dripping with this theme of love. He is the, he is the disciple you loved. 
He was transformed by your love so deeply, so profoundly, that that theme is woven through all of his writings in Scripture. God, I thank you for this church family and how so many are loving one another really well. We confess the ways in which we have fallen short, the ways in which we have been more like Cain than Christ in harboring bitterness and anger towards one another, fighting, arguing over things that aren't worth fighting over. Forgive us, Heavenly Father. Help us to be quick to extend forgiveness to one another. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this next song that we're doing, it's a new we haven't done before. And just kind of a little story. I, you know, about a month or so ago, I was listening to music, and this just popped up into my feed. And it was just the perfect thing that I needed because, um, you know, things are going good in your life, and... You know, you think, okay, you're in control, things are going good, God kind of goes on the back burner, right? And then all of a sudden, those trials, those mountains, those valleys, those deserts hit, and then you're crying out, Jesus, I need you, I need you, when, you know, that's the way it should be all the time. And, you know, I think it's kind of a way of God saying, you need me all the time, whether things are good or bad. So, um, but the song will invite you, if you'd like to stand and sing, if, if you want to just meditate, you can do that. Um, we got a couple soloists, you know, doing the verses, and the chorus we'll all do. So just join in as the Spirit leads you. And sometimes it takes a moment. Sometimes. 
Stand in your love 
There's a resurrection power that can save. Power in your name. There's power in your name. There's power that can break off every chain. There's a power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your
thirsting for Yeah.